The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. It's just past the midday mark. A little bit later in the show, I'm joined by the administrator of the South African Security Association of South Africa, uh, Mr. Tony Buertas. And we're going to be discussing the state of the security industry in South Africa, as well as the historical um, roots of this industry and this body uh, called SASA, which was a self-regulatory body for many years, actually being one of the very first organizations in South Africa involved with the administration of the security industry. Today is the 11th of the 11th, and for those that served their country, any country for that matter, they'll know that today is Armistice Day. It's a day of remembrance. It's a day that we remember those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. If you served in any of the armed forces, if you fought in any of the wars, be it World War II, be it the Korean War, be it the Bush War, be it the Border War, I'd like to hear from you. Send me an SMS or send me a a tweet. Mention your name, which unit you served or when you served, and I'd like to read it out on air. Also, if there's somebody that was in your family that paid the the ultimate sacrifice, let me know. Send me through their particulars and we'll read it out on air. You can telegram us on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us 34519 or you can tweet us at FM. Let's take a moment to remember those that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Just a reminder that if you or a loved one served in any of the wars, be it the Korean War, World War II, the Bush War, um, the Zimbabwe Rhodesia War, the South African Border War, 
or even the Six-Day War or the Yom Kippur War in Israel, we'd love to hear from you. And thank you for your service. Send us a message via Telegram on 061-895-1019, on SMS 34519, or via Twitter at FM. Another organization in South Africa that uh, has been honoring fallen heroes is the South African Security Association, SASA. And what a lot of people are unaware of is that there are more security officers on active duty in South Africa than all police and soldiers combined. That is a significant figure. Last week, Tuesday, saw the annual Bravery Award sponsored by Sasa, Sincere, Tapsosa, and supported by Sira. Joining me in studio today is Tony Buertas. He is the administrator of Sasa. Tony, welcome to the show. Good morning, thank you. Thank you, Chad. Tony, the South African security industry has had its ups and downs. It's currently regulated by an act of parliament that was passed in 2001. Prior to that, there was the Security Officers Board, which was as a result of an act of parliament of 1987. But prior to that, it seemed as if it was a self-regulated industry. And SASA was established as, as far back as 1964. What was the purpose of the establishment of SASA? SASA was an association of professional uh, executives predominantly from the private security sector um, who were aware of the fact that the industry was grossly non-compliant. Um, but in those days it was, in fact, a cowboy industry. Anybody could join the industry, anybody could work in the industry. There were no criminal checks, there, were no, there was no formal training required. Uh, it was a shambles. Uh, until the SOB, the Security Officers Board, was created, and subsequently CIRA. Now, 1987 was a watershed moment in South Africa. They decided to now regulate the security industry. Did SASA have anything to do with that Act of Parliament being passed to establish the Security Officers Board? And was SASA prior to that more of a self-regulatory body? SASA has always had a very strict membership criteria. Um, the potential member upon joining and then annually thereafter had to prove compliance doc- and provide documentary proof of compliance with regard to a great number of legislative um, or acts um, from um, no, not registration with a regulator but um, SARS, UIF, tax, uh, COID, which was then Workman's Compensation, um, the Industry Provident Fund, that came in later, uh, BE came in later, but all of the legislatively required uh, national and industry-related legislation um, was a prerequisite for membership, and, and today it still is, and it's been expanded uh, one thing that was that was very touching at, at last week's well it, it was more than touching, it was extremely emotive. Um at last week's ceremony was something that I experienced at the at a similar ceremony in nineteen ninety eight that, that was hosted by the Security Officers Board, and that was the number of posthumous awards that were made. And I don't think people realize just how many security officers die in the line of duty in South Africa. People always tend to turn their nose up at the security industry, yet it's such an important facet. Can you remember offhand how many posthumous awards were made this year? Under correction, there were 62. And that 62 people that died in the last year in the, in the, in, 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 in the cause of, of, of exercising their duties as security officers? Well, those were the ones that were nominated. We don't know how many others 
um, did pay the ultimate price, uh, that their employers did not bother to um, nominate or, or maybe were not aware of the fact that the bravery and, and uh, crime prevention awards were taking place. In your opinion, how important is these, the security industry in the maintenance of law and order and as force multipliers for the, for the statutory law enforcement agencies in South Africa? It's critical. Uh, we by far outnumber uh, the, the uh, SAPS um, and probably the, even combine that, uh, combining that with the military, we probably outnumber them. Um, SAPS have recently launched an E2 project where they are partnering with security service providers, registered security service providers, uh, to be the eyes and ears of the police. Um, in, in the area where I live, the Anidu community, um, we in 2009 launched a full partnership between private security and the SAPs. Uh, it was a formal arrangement through Business Against Crime, um, which unfortunately uh, the pilot project was altered, but it's now being reborn uh, as the E2 project. Uh, and it's being rolled out as we speak. Now, the E2 project is fantastic. I met with Val de Val and with uh, Henny de Klerk, Val de Val, of course, from Project Coin, and Henny from Bad Boys in Hilbra, and it seemed as if this project is long overdue. Having the police in certain communities on the same frequencies as security companies, having them on the ground as the eyes and the ears, as the E2 suggests, and there's been some great success to date. Why do you think it's taken so long for a public-private partnership of any sort to establish itself between the statutory law enforcement agencies and the private security industry? One word, bureaucracy. And do you also think perhaps that the state is averse to getting involved with, a, with, with private security based on the fact that although we have a very strong regulator in place with CIRA and we have very strong employer associations such as yourself, such as Sancia, such as Tapsosa, but perhaps there's still this underlying um, suspicion with regards to unregistered companies and the, the damage that unregistered companies are doing to the, to the industry? It goes beyond that. Unfortunately, the greatest percentage of regulated companies registered with a regulator are non-compliant with even basic remuneration levels. Um, we estimate between 70 and 80 percent of security service com- providers the guarding companies out there do not comply with minimum levels of remuneration, conditions of employment and benefits. Um, that it's for that reason that we are now forming a bargaining council in the sector uh, where it will be self-regulatory. The council will, will have its own enforcement division um, and dispute resolution division. Uh, it's a long term. It's been coming since the late 90s and we eventually got it registered last year and we are currently busy with with wage negotiations and the first main agreement for the council um, which has unfortunately had a bit of a hiccup along the way but um, we hope it will be resolved shortly and once the once the council uh, compliance or enforcement division gets off the ground it will really make a massive difference 
uh, for the gods, for uh, consumers. Just keep in mind that a, a security officer that is not being fairly or properly remunerated is not going to be a happy chappy. He's not going to be dedicated. He's not going to have the ability to be dedicated if he's hungry and tired and overworked and underpaid. So we want to rectify that. Now, now you've touched on such an important point for me. Um, when I left the military and I, and I joined the bank, the very first posting I had um, was Standard Bank Property Fund Managers. One of my key sites was Bedford Center. And the the tenants of the complex would have to contribute towards op cost, which was maintenance, security, marketing cost, etc. And their biggest gripe always was contributing towards security. Security was always the, the grudge payment. Yet in a country where we have crime that's so rife, how do we communicate to the consumer that it shouldn't be a grudge payment, that they should be paying that money, understanding that they're paying for a product that more times than others is actually a human being that's providing that product or that service. It's actually quite easy. Um, if a consumer does not understand the cost of high security, they should rather consider the cost of low quality or no security. Security expenses on investment, investment in not only the property but also the people that work in such a center and the thousands of visitors that come to such a center um, they want to come there they want to be safe they want their their assets to be safe um, and if you've got a Mickey Mouse company on the property or no security whatsoever there can be no peace of mind for the the tenants the employees or the visitors to the complex we're talking the South African security industry with the administrator of the South African Security Association, Tony Burtis. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're talking the state of security in South Africa with Tony Buertas, who's the administrator of the South African Security Association, an organization that's been around since 1964, long before the very first gazetted law came out governing security in 1987 and much long before the current act, um, which brought CIRA into existence in 2001, came about. Tony, if one looks at security, it's not what we remember in the 80s and the 90s where it was a security officer with a dog, perhaps a supervisor visiting the site, etc. The industry's grown exponentially and no longer just includes what we regard as traditional security, that security officer or armed response. What does the industry now include by law? Well, um, obviously minimum standards of training. Uh, commensurate with the duties that the security officer is going to perform. Uh, but the most important development in the sector has been the dramatic growth in electronics and, and support infrastructure. Um, not a legal requirement, but it has become an integral part of security. Um, patrol systems, patrol monitoring, vehicle tracking, um, closed-circuit TV, electric fences, beams, uh, also a great force force multiplier in the sector however um, with the cost of labor going up and up uh, on an annual basis um, way above CPI levels uh, there's a great risk that 
clients are going to reduce the number of security officers um, and replace those by electronic means uh, and in many cases off-site monitoring with the reaction service. And that, that's of concern because in the weeks preceding this interview, we've been chatting about the industry and the fourth industrial revolution and how technology has come in with, in, in a way that I believe should be supplementing our physical security guarding, not replacing the people that are in the industry. Now, with a country with such massive unemployment, how do we justify the fourth industrial revolution and how do we justify electronic security replacing and not perhaps supplementing the labor-intensive human element? Well, the human element carries risks to it. Um, Plain discipline, dereliction of duty, um, cost, um, ongoing, unrealistic um, remuneration demands. Our biggest, our biggest problem, our biggest hurdle that we have to to cross is the fact that our clients tend sometimes to be our biggest enemies. Um, if I go back to 13 years ago when we had a very serious strike in the country in 2006, I happened to be on one of the radio, radio stations and a consumer called in and said, but they only want 14%, give it to them. And he admitted that he was a consumer. I said, fine, you'll get a bill showing a 14% increase. He wasn't happy with that. We can't afford to pay that. Uh, the industry is currently... A well-run company is making 4% net. So that would explain what the parameters are in which we can negotiate. Clients are prepared to to look at CPI, maybe CPI plus a bit. Um, CPI is currently 4.1, the newest figure. So 6, around about 6% is, we feel, a reasonable increase. So it's 50% above CPI. Um, Labor's demands were 75% plus, plus, plus other things. Um, we, are, we are in deadlock at the moment, so uh, that is a bit of a problem. So whose job is it to educate the consumer as to what they're paying for and where that cost is going? Because I don't think the consumer out there realizes that if they're paying X amount for a security service per month, that cost has to cover the management, the uniform, the transportation, um, the contribution of the company towards the Provident Fund, if that company has a medical. And, of course, the biggest cost, which in some companies a wage turnover percentage can sit at upwards of 65 70%, is, of course, the wages. So wh- whose role is it to communicate to the consumer why there's a necessary increase in security costs, why security costs so much, and how do we then protect the employee, the security officer, from these fly-by-night companies that will come in at lower prices, knowing full well that they won't be able to char- to pay the guard um, the correct amount because they've charged too little? Uh, the rem- remuneration part currently falls within the ambit of the Department of Employment and Labour, uh, new name for the department. Um, however, the regulator, up to last year, published what they called a illustrative pricing guide, which they placed on their website, 
which explain to the consumer and to security service providers how the cost, the ultimate cost, the selling price of a security service uh, was calculated. Uh, it wasn't well marketed. Uh, the regulator stopped doing it. SASA now does a cost structure. Um, we also are very active with consumers. Um, whenever we hear of a tender going out, we advise the tender management of the criteria that they should that they should be following, um, of the risks of appointing a non-compliant fly-by-night or exploitative company. We obviously don't name companies. We don't want to be um, swallowed up in the, in the legal, legal processes. Uh, but we just let off caution that we send out to consumers. The regulator has similarly taken our document or similar to our document and reworded it as a letter of sanction, a warning, uh, not a letter of caution, um, that to, in terms of Clause 38.3G of the CEDA Act, uh, it is a criminal offence for any consumer to employ an unregistered security officer in an in-house situation or to make use of an unregistered security service provider. However, there is no legislation at this stage, and I don't see it coming in soon, holding the, the consumer liable if he's going for the cheapest price, knowing full well that the employee, the, the guard that's performing those duties is being exploited. It's like a three-legged pot. The first leg is obviously the consumer. He wants the best deal to best price, which is normal. He's a businessman. The second leg is the security service provider, the company, who will never operate at a loss, willfully tender at a loss. So if, if the pricing structure is of such a nature that it goes, that is below the illustrative prices that we have calculated, the only one that loses is the guard. They work excessive hours without being, out receiving overtime. Um, they, uh, their basic salaries are, are below standard. They are, they use non-standard employment methods such as self-employed security officers or independent contractors. Um, they abuse learnerships where a security officer gets a stipend which should be, be for the classroom part of the training, but he's used on the site to perform security duties, although he's not trained to perform security duties, and such learnership is not even registered with the, with the relevant CETA. So, yes, there's a great challenge ahead of us. Um, the, the legislation has to be changed. There has to be some responsibility placed on, on the shoulders of the consumer. Um, and... Uh, no, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be an uphill battle, but we'll get there. So what I've taken away from this, and what I think you as the listeners should take cognizance of, is that it's unlawful 
for a consumer to make use of an unregistered security company. And I've had arguments about this on social media before, but the the due diligence rests with the consumer to make sure that the security company they are using is registered. And it's not difficult to check. You can go onto pcira.co.za to find out whether that security company is in fact registered. More importantly, Sira has recently published a list of suspended companies, which you should take cognizance of. We reached the halfway mark. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about about other industries that aren't necessarily guarding an armed response. It also fall within the ambit of the Security Services Act. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about the state of security in South Africa with Tony Buertas, who is the administrator of the Security Association of South Africa. Um, SAS has been in existence for many years, um, being established in 1964. It is a organization that represents the industry both at employer level as well as at consumer level. And it's a very important organization in that it recognizes the importance of security in South Africa, attempts to educate the consumer as well as the companies. And something very important that we've taken away today is that for you to hire a security services provider, you yourself as a consumer need to do a due diligence because it is a criminal offense to hire a company or individuals that are not registered. And it doesn't just cover your traditional security officers. Tony, let's talk about the other industries that have now been brought into into CIRA that are now legislated and have to register by law and failure, which um, is a criminal offense. You mentioned to me um, off mic earlier that importers and exports of security equipment have to be registered. Private investigators have to be registered. Locksmiths have to be registered. Who else gets added to that list? Sales reps. Um, any any consultant with regard to security service has to be registered. Um, obviously, directors of security businesses have to be registered. And what's very important is that where the consumer is an in-house employer of security services. In other words, it's a residential estate or complex that registers or that employs their own security officers. They have to register as an in-house employer with CIRA, the regulator. Now, we've got security companies complaining that it's now become more difficult and more costly to register with CIRA. I personally welcome that. I don't want any organization just being able to register. I want that vetting process to take place. What are your members' viewpoints on that? Oh, we, tot- we, we totally support uh, a, a higher threshold for admission into the industry, not that we want to keep people out of the industry. In fact, SASA has created a mentorship program for entrance, new entrants to the industry to assist them in reaching a level of compliance, knowledge, and expertise to get there. Um, it often happens that people operate uh, from a bucky with a cell phone under a tree, uh, unregistered, untraceable, um, they just go to a different tree every day. Um, and unfortunately, that is the curse of the industry. Uh, because not even the regulator or the Department of Labor are, are able to, to identify these people and take the action against them. Uh, the, there is a rumor that, that the regulator is going to hire the, the entry level for directors um, 
is currently that of a grade B security officer. Um, the rumor is that it's going to become a grade A plus at least a one-year diploma in security management. We welcome that day that that happens. So do I. So do I. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the dangers of the unregistered security officers in South Africa. And I want to talk about numbers um, within the security industry. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I'm with Tony Buertis in studio today. He's the administrator of SASA, which is the Security Association of South Africa. And we're chatting about the challenges in the industry. Now, what a lot of people are unaware of is that there's more than half a million people actively employed as registered security officers in South Africa and close on 10,000 security companies that are registered and active in South Africa. The number of Companies that are unregistered or, or or people operating within that space, it's very difficult to tell. If you had to guesstimate, um, Tony, how many unregistered people are there? Is there some way of measuring it? Is there like an approximation that can be done? Well, I, I would estimate that there are probably close to 2,000 companies that are, that are operating illegally. Um, some of them alarm installers who were employees at an alarm company and then decided to go freelance. They haven't bothered to register. There are some guarding companies that are not registered. Um, I'm willing to bet that most of the car guards in the country are unregistered. Um, a lot of the security officers working in-house as insourced em- employees of the end user, um, a great percentage are unregistered. So that figure, uh, the 500,000 uh, figure, that you quoted could be it could be inflated by fifteen percent or more, which is massive. And I think a lot of people are unaware that the industry is so well regulated that you can go online at pcira.co.za and you can go to registration and you can check whether a company or a person is registered. The industry I'm in, the private investigation industry, forms part of the security industry. And anybody offering a private investigation service, those words specifically, has to be registered with CIRA. But it goes one step further. Just because that person is registered with CIRA as a private investigator in their personal capacity, they cannot offer that service individually unless they have a company registered or if they are sole proprietor, they register as a sole proprietor. So there should be two registrations for that person that's operating. One as a business registration, one as an individual. And you'll find a lot of people try to circumvent the law by using their personal serial number as a, as a, as a trading as. And that in itself is illegal. How do we cut down on this? Because this is a criminal offense, Tony. How do we educate the public that they must report unregistered CCTV installers, unregistered alarm installers, unregistered security companies, unregistered security officers, unregistered private investigators? Well, they can go directly to CIRA. They do have a a fraud outline. Um, Or they can contact my office. Um, I probably handle in excess of 200 complaints uh, from consumers and from employees in the sector. Uh, on a weekly basis. Um, even the, the Deloitte's 
fraud hotline, every security-related complaint comes, on, comes to my office, and then I take it further, either to the regulator, to the Department of Employment and Labor, to SARS, SAPS, whichever the case may be, or to a combination of those, um, and they followed through until conclusion. Uh, non-compliance in every aspect is very important. Uh, and I must emphasize, it is the consumer's responsibility to ensure that his service provider is registered with the regulator. He should also ensure that the service provider is compliant with all required legislation that is on our website at www.sasecurity.co.za. There's a list of compliance documents, uh, compliance requirements that we require, that we believe that every consumer should also be asking of their service provider. If the service provider is a gold member of the Security Association and their certificate is still valid, it's valid for a year until the end of February, renewable on the 1st of March of each year, then he has provided us with those documents. We have had them independently vetted. We are happy that they are compliant. Then that is the, the seal of, of compliance for the consumer. If he's a non-SASA member, we're a voluntary organization, uh, if he's a non-SASA member, the consumer should ask the same questions. Uh, why have you got 180 guards on your payroll and only 42 on the Provident Fund, uh, for example, which means he's under-declaring? Uh, that's also a major problem in the sector. Companies are under-declaring to the regulator, which puts him in a, in a lower fee bracket, um, and they're under-declaring to the Provident Fund, which means that they could be pocketing the contribution of the employee. Uh, there's one company in the country, and obviously I won't go on air and mention names, that's stolen 88 million rand from their employees by not paying over Provident Fund contributions. Those guys are blissfully unaware that they've got no death cover, that they've got no disability cover, no funeral cover, and no retirement savings. That is until they resign and want to get, withdraw their money or when they check up why they're not getting a, uh, a certificate of, of contributions, uh, then they find out that there is no certificate of contributions with not even members of the fund. Now, I find that absolutely shocking because these are people that are putting their lives at risk, like we saw at the award ceremony last week where posthumous awards were made. Um, Sirius seems to be getting tough. We've seen um, some hefty fines, um, not just for non-compliance or for being unregistered, but also for unprofessionalism in terms of the, the code of conduct. We saw a 20 million rand fine levied recently on a Durban-based company, of which 17 million rand was suspended and 3 million rand was, was ordered to be paid immediately. But have we seen any jail terms? Have we know, do we know of any company directors or any individuals that have actually been imprisoned um, because the act allows for imprisonment should you be found guilty of, 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 of those misconducts. No, in most cases, those, those employers would have sorted away enough money to, to pay the fine. Um, the act makes provision for imprisonment and or a fine. It's normally either or, not and or. Uh, and the fine, you know, if you're stealing a million a month from your guards, you don't mind paying a hundred thousand rand a month of that as a fine if it comes to that. However, um, 
I've had this discussion with a regulator where a company is guilty of repetitive um, abuse of, of employees or of the law, they should not be given the option of, of a settlement uh, where the magnitude of the offence is so great. They should not be given the opportunity of a settlement. They should face the tribunal. They should face the full might of the law. Now, there are certain offences that are also criminal offences using an unregistered security officer or security company. Um, however, and, and for example, the non-payment of provident fund contributions, uh, that carries up to a 10 million fine. Uh, however, SAP to a certain extent don't want to prosecute those cases because they don't understand, for example, the provident fund contravention. Um, and and uh, so both the regulatory authorities uh, and law enforcement have to take tougher stance on this. We, we as an association have no statutory powers, of course, um, but I, I serve on the um, compliance forum of the regulator at the national level, um, and I'm very vocal about non-compliance and the actions of non-compliant companies. Um, and I'm proud to say that I've, I've been responsible for the closure of an, a number of companies um, who are probably still cursing if they're listening to this at the moment. Well, that's good to hear. Tony, your closing remarks, what is your thoughts about the future of security in South Africa? Security is here to stay. Manned guarding is here to stay. Electronics will never take over from manned guarding. However, electronics are the future. Drones, beams, CCTVs, off-site monitoring, uh, patrol monitoring will supplement, should supplement the guarding service. But it is going to reduce the manpower levels in the sector or at least slow down the growth in the manpower um, quantum of the sector. If you need to find out more about the Security Association of South Africa, or if you need to find out more about the um, legislation pertaining to the industry and whether or not a company is registered, or if you yourself are running a security company and would like to know more about the benefits of being a member of SASA, you can go to the website www.sasecurity.co.za. You can email admin at sasecurity.coza and you can call them at 0861 100 680. Thank you so much for joining us in studio today, Tony. Dad, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks very much. It's been great having you guys listening in today. Uh, we're taking a break next week. We'll be back the following week where we're going to be chatting about forensics in the investigation of crimes, looking at cell phone forensics, looking at um, computer forensics, etc. And we'll be joined in studio by Peter Fryer, who represents Risk Diversion. Thank you so much for joining us today on the 11th of the 11th, this Remembrance Day.